I mean, what's the worst thing about being on a beach in 78 degree weather in sunny Southern California? The answer is, if it's a Wednesday, well, it kind of prevents us from doing the Late Kick Extra podcast, but we're back in Nashville. We have rectified that. So we got a wall-to-wall Q&A mailbag this morning. It's what we do at the middle of every week. This is a little bit different than Late Kick Live which you can find replays of also in this podcast feed. I'm Josh Pate. It is Wednesday, July 6th, the year of our Lord, 2022. Is college football going to look the same in five years? Let's just dive into it. Let's waste no time. I am I know this is a mailbag. It's Q&A, but so many of you have asked this question. I'm just going to present it generically. And the generic question is, how do you feel about the way things are headed? This is even more updated than Sunday night when we did Late Kick Live. We think the Big 12 is going to make a move here. We're waiting with bated breath on what the ACC is going to do. If they're going to do anything, are the Big 10 and SEC going to expand anymore? How do you feel about it, though? There have been a lot of different opinions thrown out there. I'm going to kind of give you my latest. I'm also going to react some. A lot of you asked me what I thought about what some other people were saying. This is not usually that kind of podcast, but I'll do it this morning. Or or it may be afternoon, wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you for doing so. So uh, there was a big kerfuffle. You know how rarely I use that word. In my Twitter feed yesterday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, I'm recording it on Tuesday. It just happened. It's fresh in my mind. And it was about something Joel Klatt said. He's not the only one who said this. I guess he's just the most noteworthy person who has suggested it. Joel Klatt, of course, does phenomenal work over on Fox. He's the lead color guy, works right alongside Gus Johnson. You know my affinity for Big Noon kickoff, so I love Big Noon Joel. So I'll set it up for you if you missed all this. Joel Klatt, in response to all of the changing tides in college football right now and USC and UCLA headed to the Big Ten, rumors that there may be more expansion, Joel Klatt went on Twitter, he said the following. It's incredibly hard to see right now, in particular if your team is outside the SEC or Big Ten, but the long-term outlook for fans is a good one. We will look back on these times as the moves that shaped a better postseason, more quality non-conference games, and stronger governance. Now, that's well-written. And sometimes, if you just write it well enough, you can get what we call bumper sticker syndrome, which is where you could just say any old thing. And if it sounds cool and it's a well-constructed thought, some, some people will just accept it. So it took a few minutes, but eventually some people started diving into it a little deeper. So there were some responses to the positive. I'll give you one right here. Tim Brando said, uh, he is right. Joel's right. And the rhetoric you're hearing from elsewhere is by design. There are many in media that loathe college athletics and they attack in ways they never would the NFL, NBA, and frankly, most pro sports. Change is hard, not without flaws, but in the end, college football will be fine. I'll just drop my two cents in here. Tim Brando is partly right there because you you know as well as I do now. You guys driving around or working out or wherever you are, you're listening to this. You have heard me talk about this many times. I have heard you complain about this many times, about how the traditional American sports media infrastructure is filled with people who really came up on pro sports and only later on in their professional careers were told, hey, you need to go and cover college sports too. It's never their first love, or most of the time it's not. And as a result, they treat it differently. They don't love it, so they feel free to attack it, and they do hold it to a different standard. So Brando's absolutely right there. Now, when he says everything will just be fine, let me get back to that, because I know a lot of you out there are yelling, no, it won't be fine. So then Mike Golick Jr. came in, and he's responding to Joel Klatt saying, hey, in the long run, this is going to be better for college football fans. And Golick said, I believe that all hinges on whether you consume college football as a national or a regional product. 
Because everything described here makes for a really good TV product, a lot of money. But for regional fans of the sport outside the current halves, I don't know, man, none of that looks good for them. That's kind of where my mind has been. And I'll tell you before I share what my response was, what's aggravated me some mildly at this point, takes a lot more to get under my skin than this, but what's mildly aggravated me is anytime you push back on some of these changes, You've probably heard it like I have. There's this group in the room who wants to run up and tell you why this is so important because the TV numbers and the media rights deals will make so much more money. Like, I don't get that. Like, I, I haven't seen the numbers. You know, this is publicly available, guys. You're getting your stats and figures from the same articles I read. I know that the Big Ten is about to sign a multi-billion dollar media rights deal. I know that Disney ESPN acquired the rights to the SEC for what will be the equivalent of over $3 billion over the lifetime of that 10-year deal. I know all that. I'm just going to ask you a question. I'm going to let it simmer for a second because I'm going to get right back to reading some of these responses. Does that equal better? Think about how you define what makes college football good. I'm asking you now. I'm not, I'm not telling you listen to my opinion because ultimately it comes down to how you feel. You're going to watch something based on whether you like it and it appeals to you or not. So if you're driving around in Des Moines, Iowa right now, think to yourself, does Fox or ESPN or the SEC or the Big Ten, does one of them spending more money and one of them pocketing more money, does that automatically just make me feel good about what's on my TV? Now, my short answer is I couldn't care less how much conferences are making. I couldn't care less how much a TV network is paying to acquire those rights. I don't care about that. You know why? Because I'm not in those rooms. I'm not the one signing my John Hancock on the dotted line. So really, that doesn't concern me. But think about this. It concerns me more than it concerns you. At least I'm in this business. Like, at least I have a show where we'll probably end up seeing a financial windfall from this. You should care even less than I do. And I'm telling you, I don't care. So let me just go back now to reset the scene. You got Joel Klatt saying, hey, in the long run, this is going to be better. Even if you can't see it right now, it's going to be better. So what I did is I shared some thoughts there. I just retweeted it. It's still up there. I don't think anything's been deleted. And I said, well, here's an alternate take. It's quite possible a sport built on regionality and brands in local media markets was never meant to be consumed the same way that the NFL is. College football strength has always been rooted in uniqueness, not conformity. And essentially what I'm saying there, I think it was pretty straightforward, but what I'm saying there is I think it's total apples to oranges sometimes to compare what has worked with the NFL and therefore what should work with college football. And I know that you're hearing a lot of voices out there right now say, this has worked in the pro sports model. These TV executives know what they're doing. And I don't doubt that. They sure do. It's just, are they doing something that's born in the same motivation as ours? That's the question. Is their end game the same as our end game? But I get what's worked. But I also get that the NFL has teams in Dallas and Atlanta and Miami and Charlotte. There's a reason why those NFL franchises are where they are. That's not the way it works in college sports. So a lot of folks are trying to apply this pro sports mentality from a media rights perspective and thus a structural perspective to our sport. And our sport has, as far as I could tell, always been based around many teams that are in remote locations, pinpoints on a map, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Clemson, South Carolina, you know, Ames, Iowa. These are not huge metropolises or metropoli, I guess would be the plural there. And if it wasn't before, it is now. So does that really apply? Does that really make you feel better about the direction of the sport? 
Now, to go back to what Joel said, and to be clear, this is not a bash Joel Cox, or Joel Cox works here, Joel Klatt. This is not a bash Joel Klatt show. I love the work Joel Klatt does. I would love for him to be right. Be very clear about that. I hope he's right. I hope we do look up five years from now, and we say, that stuff I thought was going to be the end of times for college football, it ended up making a better product. I like what we have here. I'd love to live in that world. It's tough for me to conceptualize that right now, uh, but I would love to live in that world. But I think the more realistic approach is to look around and to listen to folks who tell me this is all about money, which it is, and I respond with, okay, it is all about money. Like uh, Brady Quinn popped in. He said, man, money's driving all this. Well, I know that. I mean, I had had Brady on the show last week. We talked about it. I know that. My response was, that's not the end-all, be-all for me. Like if we have something on the table that maximizes what a TV network is willing to spend, that doesn't always mean it's the best possible college football product. I look at it and I say, TV money, it absolutely is driving the bus. But I don't view TV money as the ideal compass for a product most executives do not instinctively get. Never forget that. Most of the folks who are involved in this, they understand the business side. They understand a P&L sheet. They understand profitability and how to maximize that profit. They get all that. That's the world those folks live in. Do they understand the lifeblood of college football? Do they understand it? Do they eat, sleep, and breathe it? And I know this sounds very infantile. Uh, This sounds very idealistic. Well, that's kind of the way I think about our sport. I know some of your fancy terms. I sit in on some of your meetings on the other side of the fence. But really, I'm over there with you guys. I look at it. And it's as simple to me as, why do we always have to screw up a good thing? Like, why in the world do I live in a sporting society where quite literally any other form of sports in this country has been professionalized, including football? And so if you want that version of it, you can watch pro football on Sundays. If you want it in baseball, you can watch MLB. If you want it in basketball, you get the idea. So you've got a pro version where you got that kind of model and it, it's everywhere around you. Why couldn't we leave this one thing I love alone? And yet we couldn't. You know why? Because there are too many of us. Ironically, we're the problem. There's too much passion for college football. And where you have passion, you have profitability. And that sounds like a t-shirt, so I'm going to write that idea down. Uh, But that's the sad reality. The more passion we had, the bigger we grew this game, the more attractive it was going to be. And it became so attractive that people, instead of spending tens of millions, were willing to spend hundreds of millions to acquire the rights to it. And then it became billions. And once it's that way... They aren't interested anymore in the colloquialism. They aren't interested anymore in the cute regionality. You look at the fact that USC is going to play a conference game in Piscataway, New Jersey, and you laugh at that, and I laugh at that. It's totally ridiculous. They look at it and they say, well, um, if the Rams can go over there and play against the Jets, then why can't USC go play Rutgers? And they'd look at you with a straight face after saying that sentence, and they wouldn't even know the difference because to them there is no difference. College football is an asset, just like the NFL is an asset. And I hate that personally. Now, that's my take on it, if you want my take on it. I hate that it's being viewed through that lens. I I love the territoriality of our sport. I love the regionality. I love that different parts of the country include their own unique cultures. And that's true in reality. Our sport mirrors that. Our sport represents that, I think, more so than any other sport in America. And I'm not saying you're totally stripping that away. Like when you turn on an LSU game at night in Death Valley, it'll it'll still look the same, whether Alabama's in town or Oklahoma's in town. I, I get that. We're not turning the switch off on the sport, but you are probably entering an era 
pretty rapidly if you think about it. If you're 20 years old right now, I don't know if you've thought about it through this framework. If you're 20 years old right now, let's say your dad's 45 years old. Your dad could tell you stories about what college football was like before you were born. And he could tell you stories about you know what it was like when there was something called the Blue Bonnet Bowl, for example, or the Blockbuster Bowl. And he could tell you about what it was like before Arkansas was in the SEC. He could tell you those sorts of stories. Do you have any earthly idea for my college crowd out here, for my high school crowd, for my early 20s crowd, do you guys have the slightest idea what it's going to be like when you're 45 years old and we have gone through all these changes that are upon us or on the horizon and you got kids of your own and you're telling them what you lived through and you're telling them what college football used to look like. Here's what that may sound like. It may sound like as, as you're teaching your kid geography, hey, you see this state here up here in the Pacific Northwest right below Washington? That's Oregon. You know, they used to have two major football teams there. Now they got one. And the one in Eugene, it's called Oregon, and it's in the Big Ten, but it used to be in something called the Pac-12, and they used to have a game called the Civil War, until they changed it for whatever reason. I think 14 people got offended by it. So they changed the title of the game, but they played this team from Corvallis called Oregon State. They were the Beavers. And yes, believe it or not, Jimmy, they used to play on equal footing. Sometimes Oregon State would win. Sometimes Oregon would win. But both of them were chasing the same prize. It was called a Pac-12 championship. And then Jimmy asks you what the Pac-12 is. And the Pac-12 to little Jimmy will be like your current 45-year-old or 50-year-old dad telling you what the Southwest Conference was. I mean, the Southwest Conference is admittedly a little before my time as well. Uh, but it it at one time was one of, if not the power conferences of college football. Had a bunch of Texas schools and had Arkansas in it. Uh, the entire SMU 30 for 30 documentary, Pony Excess, which is my favorite out of all the documentaries ESPN's ever done. I love Pony Excess. If you want a little refresher course on the Southwest Conference, go check that out. Now, at the height of the Southwest Conference, I guarantee you those folks thought nothing could touch the SWC because there were no more passionate college football fans in the country than in Texas. Well, it imploded and it actually ended up happening pretty quickly, as it turns out. I'm not saying college football died because of that. In fact, you could look around and you could say college football thrived after that. College football did not need the Southwest Conference. Well, does college football need the Pac-12? No, it doesn't need it to survive. But I'm looking around and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not sure I want to. <laughs> I'm not going to say it like that. I was going to say, I'm not sure I want to live in a world. No, I think I'm going to choose to go on living. But I'm not crazy about entering a world where we see this many legitimate Power 5 programs just fall off. And that's not even to speak about G5 programs. I don't know what the future holds. To be brutally honest, I don't know what it holds for schools like that, for schools in the MAC and Sunbelt. I don't know. I really don't know because one of the other questions right now that is too far down the priority list to ask, much less answer, is what happens to those schools, especially if you're expanding your conference schedule. Oh, and by the way, you're trying to partner with other super conferences for out-of-conference matchups, well, all of a sudden, it sounds to me like you just filled 10 or 11 slots out of a 12-game season. Where are the out-of-conference matchups against what you would call the cream puffs? Now, cream puff to you is just an easy win. Cream puff to someone else was the lifeblood of their program that gave them financial sustainability. I mean, Akron needs it badly. Bowling Green needs it badly. I don't know what happens to them. You may think to yourself, I don't care. I don't watch Bowling Green games on Saturdays. Well, what happens every year is dozens of kids get to play football at the college level 
and get to go to school for free because Bowling Green football exists and because it, in part, is subsidized by being able to play a couple of those tune-up games per year. Now, is that going to impact your viewing habits on Saturday? Probably not. But it is an aspect I don't enjoy seeing. But it's not just at the G5 level. If we're moving the direction that it looks like we're moving, what's happening to Wake Forest? What's happening to Syracuse? What's happening to Oregon State? Where, where does Cal go? And I'm looking at them and I'm saying, those are teams that I've legitimately grown up seeing every Saturday. I'm not watching them wire to wire, but I'm very aware of what the Wake Forest score is. Like they're on the radar and they're just gone. Is that what's happening? Or are they ceasing to exist on the same level? Because there's no world to me where those programs exist in the same realm as the big boys do. So you could sell me, again, like Joel Klatt tried to do, you could sell me that there's a world, if the right hands are on the wheel, where this is not a burning down of college football, but it is just a controlled burn of some of the underbrush that was never going to be able to survive anyway. And what we're left with is the strongest vegetation in the sport. You were left with however many power conferences you want to call them. And as a result, also, you get streamlined governance. The NCAA is out of the way, and these conferences police themselves, and you've got a standardized NIL structure, and the transfer portal has gotten in order Look, that all sounds great. If you could promise me that's coming, where do I sign? Because at this point, that sounds a lot better than some of the alternatives. But right now, as I said the other night, we are not in post-tornado assessment mode. We're in the tornado. You don't know how strong it was. It's happening right now. You don't know how bad the damage is. You don't know how many injuries there are. You're in it. We're in it currently. So there's no skill in knowing any of that. So I know there are a lot of opinions out there. I've got them too. I'm kind of whispering them. I've got them too. But the biggest skill right now is just saying, I don't know. Let's wait and see. Let's just wait and see. I've got my concerns. And they aren't, they aren't recent. If you've been listening to Late Kick for a while, you know I've been talking about this for a while. But some of these programs, they have no fallback. I mean, you got to have a fallback. It, it really greatly helps when you know, for example, like if I get tongue-tied, I could just do this. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, a few truths in an uncertain world, but I mean, I'm telling you, we got the best ad tosses in the business going on here right now. 0.00% chance you saw that coming. I don't want to talk about expansion exclusively on the show today. So I did want to get some questions in here. Really glad you guys are tuned in. Uh, if you missed the Sunday show, got a bunch of big announcements coming Sunday night. Bunch of them. Just tune in. That's all I can say right now. Uh, it'll be on the Monday replay if you want to wait for it in the podcast feed. But Sunday night, live on the 24-7, well, on the Late Kick YouTube channel as it is now. 8 Eastern, 7 Central. In the meantime, Mike in Naples, Florida. 
asked, why is everyone high on Miami when Mario Cristobal hasn't proven anything? You know, this also could have been just an aggregated question because a lot of people ask this one too. So Mike from Naples is going to be the representative here. They're high on him because he has done things before. I think if you were to land on earth today and you decided to be a college football fan and you just heard what some people say about Mario Cristobal, you would think he's never coached or you would think he's like five and 38 career. The guy has two conference titles in just his time at Oregon. He won the Rose Bowl out there. He didn't win a national championship. That's true. Yes, that's. I'll grant you that. So I'm not telling you he's Nick Saban 2.0 or Kirby 2.0, but to suggest the guy's done nothing is ludicrous. What, what scale are we grading on here? And I'll tell you what else he did, and this is what has him excited. Of course, he recruited when he was out there. And he recruited at a national level, too. And he wasn't taking backup options. So I'll tell you, Mike, in Naples, what has pretty much everyone high on Miami is they're currently sitting in the top 10. And the same crowd who tells me not to focus on class rankings right now was the crowd that was bashing Miami for being ranked in the mid-30s a week ago. I've got the receipts. I uh, I have some of you on record as saying that, but I'm not going to out you because that would be unprofessional, dare I say, rude. And that's the last thing you would ever expect from me. But they're going to have a good class. They're always going to have a good class. That was the least doubted thing when Mario went there. But the other question that I've asked, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but the other question rhetorically that I've asked anyone who wants to bash Miami fans for being excited is how would you suggest they should feel? How how if you've been where Miami's been and where they haven't been over the last 20 some odd years, and you have not maximized on any of the resources you have available to you down there, and you haven't recruited, and you, can't, you haven't kept in-state talent home, and you haven't had that pride of program like a lot of you grew up knowing Miami to be, and then one of yours comes home, and he happens to be a phenomenal recruiter, and then there's a re-engagement of the fan base, and then they get NIL probably tuned up about as well as anyone has, which brings me to the part of Mike's question that I didn't list, but I guess I will. Mike just says they're going out and buying every player right now. Mike, I would ask you two things. First thing would be, do you have any evidence that they're doing anything illegal? If so, send it to me. Uh, number two, if you don't, then how do you think this thing's working, period? What, are we talking NIL? Are we talking illegal inducements? Because if we're talking about NIL, I don't know if anyone's noticed lately, but that's kind of how that's kind of how it works now. I was at Elite 11 last week, and I was having some people tell me behind the scenes what the going rate is for certain players at certain positions. And I can tell you, Mike, that information was not all sourced from Miami and their coaching staff and their boosters. <laughs> I can assure you, it came from all four corners and across the fruited plain of our great country in college football. So, Mike, they're going to recruit well down there. What they're going to do with that talent, no one knows. My guess is they'll win more games than they don't, uh, but whether they're going to contend for playoff spots or not, that's almost secondary right now because I personally get an inbox full of Miami folks every day talking to me, and they talk about how excited they are. They're not making predictions. At least they aren't to me. They're not expecting a national title in the next two years or anything like that. They're expecting to improve. They're proud of their program. They're reinvigorated. That's natural. That's exactly how I would feel if I were a Miami fan. So I can't criticize them for feeling the exact same way I would. Proof of performance has still got to be there. But they know in order to make the meal, of course, you got to have the ingredients. So it's exciting. They're in the grocery store right now. It's very exciting. Jerry hit me up from Sylacauga, Alabama. It's right off Highway 280. Driven that one many a time. He said, I sense your disdain when you're talking about expansion 
Am I right in suggesting that you hate talking about this? Yes, you are right. I don't like talking about it at all. Do you remember last year when OU in Texas, when the news broke that they were going to the SEC? We got a big bump. Like a lot of a lot of people cared about it, obviously. But what I noticed, and see if you remember this, we got like two weeks into August before people really started talking about football, like the actual upcoming season of football. And what happened was, Talk of conference expansion sucked all the air out of the room. And it's going to happen this year. It's already happening. And it's going to get worse probably before it gets better in that sense. And so we've got media days coming up and everyone's going to ask about conference expansion. And no one's going to ask about, you know, how the left tackle spot's working out for your team or the wide receiver depth on your team. Well, that's what I care about talking about. I could, I'd just assume leave this stuff to other people. I'd let Dennis Dodd write about this stuff. I was texting him today and he's less than pleased to be pulled off the golf course to be covering this too. But to answer your question, Jerry, I don't like talking about it because in July, this is the time where I kind of hit the on switch and I'm full speed ahead towards the season. And then especially when we get to August, I want to be talking about football, but you structure the show, not me. So as long as your questions are tilted more towards that topic, I've only got to assume that's what you care about more. So I guess I've got to table what I want to do and I've got to talk about what you care about the most. Stephanie up next in Charlotte, North Carolina. She said, how do you sell kids on the recruiting trail to come to places where they don't draw big crowds? I'm thinking about USC. I'm thinking about Miami and a few other places. I appreciate that question, Stephanie. It's a good one. So the first thing you have to think about is the programs you just listed, Miami and USC. Those are good. Those are good examples there. When you turn on a Miami game, you're not used to seeing a lot of folks in the stands. Ditto over the last few years with USC. But there are examples throughout history of seeing both of those fan bases show up in droves. I mean, there was a Notre Dame game when they played Miami down in Hard Rock a few years ago where they sold it out. It was when Mark Richt was there, I think. In Notre Dame, I think they just got pasted that night. And, uh, of course, every headline the next day asked if the U was back. You know how much I love that. But they showed up. In USC country, of course, you've got the bygone era of Pete Carroll where they regularly sold the Coliseum out. Here's the difference. It's kind of a cats and dogs thing. If you own a dog, as soon as you show up, man, when your car comes around the corner, that dog comes running, especially if it's a lab. Whereas if you own a cat, you pull up, you get out of the car, you walk in, and there it is up on the couch, and it takes a second or two to come to you. Point being, they're both eventually going to come to you, but it's it's just a differently wired animal. And the way that the fan bases at Miami and USC have worked is you have got to convince them. you got to sell them. they got to know what they're getting. Those are entertainment-rich areas. That's just the way it is. You know it going in. So once you give them a product, the good news is they will show up. They'll show up just like Bama fans or Ohio State fans. The difference is Bama and Ohio State fans are going to show up even when things are going sideways. When things go sideways at the Coliseum, it looks embarrassing on TV. When things go sideways at Miami, it looks embarrassing. Now, I've always had a little crossroads of opinion on this. Because I would ask, well, what's better? Is it better to be able to take for granted the idea of selling out your stadium? Or is it better for there to be pressure on your athletic director and your head coach to know that the only way we're going to have a spectacle that we're able to sell to recruits is if we're winning? Now, the follow-up to that is, if I were bringing you in, if I were recruiting you to USC, or if I were recruiting you to Miami, I don't have to sell you on the atmosphere. There are so many other things I can sell you on. And especially if you're a high-profile player and I'm trying to link NIL into all this, I'm selling you on the opportunities you have in L.A. or in Miami. I'm not selling you on 
what it sounds like in here on third down. Now, if I can get a good atmosphere, so be it. But that's cherry on top. Whereas if I'm recruiting for Nebraska, I'm selling Lincoln, Nebraska, man. I'm selling game day, no matter what our record is. And hopefully it'll be better once you come and play for me here at Nebraska. But they're just different things you can sell, Stephanie. And so it's not impossible to get those kind of big crowds at Miami games or at USC games, but they are going to wait for you to prove it to them. They're not going to show up and then have you prove it. You're going to prove it and then they'll show up. That's the way it's going to work there. Speaking of Nebraska, Seth is in Omaha. He said, do you see the future of the quarterback position changing in college football because that position will be paid so much more than other positions in NIL? Uh, It could. I've told you I think it's a case-by-case. I think whether NIL tears apart a locker room is case-by-case. The same as if bad attitudes tear apart a locker room. But I'll tell you, when I was at Elite 11 last week, and those are some of the top quarterbacks in the country, all of them are going to get big NIL money, and I talked to some of them off the record about it. Those kids have it put together mentally. I don't know who in the world is coaching them, and I don't know when they start the mental training aspect of this whole thing. You're talking about some guys giving answers beyond their years, and they have yet to enter their senior year of high school. So some of them are 16 or 17 years old. They will be 18 coming up. I'm telling you, if you could overhear my conversation with some of those guys last week and you closed your eyes, you would think they're five years into their NFL career with the way they're talking about money, with the way they're talking about handling themselves on and off the field. I'll tell you one of the byproducts, one of the benefits of NIL that you used to you used to have to worry about that I just don't think you're going to have to worry about so much anymore. These dudes getting paid uh, a lot of money, some quarterbacks and whatnot. I don't think you're going to have to worry about any of them getting in trouble off the field. You think money is going to corrupt people. The group I talked to last week, I'll just say this. I will be shocked if we wake up to headlines about Malachi Nelson or about Emory Williams or about Dante Moore being in big trouble off the field. Not only do I think they're just mature enough to handle themselves, but then when you put financial skin in the game, the likes of which these guys have never had before. Oh, and by the way, some of these NIL deals, whether you know this or not, They have clauses. They have behavioral clauses built into them. If you get in trouble off the field, if you bring bad light onto our brand, we're severing ties with you. So you go out all of a sudden at 2 a.m. and you're thinking about whether to make a decision or not. Well, what used to just make you run hills or maybe get you suspended for the first half against Toledo all of a sudden may cost you $350,000. You think that might not change your decision making? Or maybe you're not even out at 2 o'clock to put yourself in the bad place to make the bad decision. That's part of it. But the other part is, I think they've observed, I had a couple of them tell me, you know, I've observed what some of these guys have done with the money they've gotten. They look at a guy like Caleb Williams buying the locker room headphones or something like that. It's a small gesture in the grand scheme of things, but it means something. And the ones I talk to, they're very aware of that. You know, they're almost aware that people are watching them and they're aware that there could be that tension when my left tackles being paid, you know, 75 grand from a car dealership and I'm on the hook for about $1.85 million over the lifetime of my scholarship. I probably need to hook him up, probably need to take him out to eat a few times. I probably need to talk him up in the media. I probably need to use my platform to shine more light on these other guys. They get that. They get that. There's a lot of mental training and financial planning and training that is going into this right now. I think there could be more across the board, but these high-level guys are already getting it. So I do think, yes, case by case, you could have a situation where big money blows up in someone's face. I think far more often than not, you're going to find that that worst fear is not going to be realized. Here's what I realize. 
I realize that we are sitting in one of the most blessed positions in this business. So I got to thank you again. When we had 100,000 subs live the other night when we were out in L.A., that was awesome. And we got slapped on the back about 100 times by management afterwards. I just know that you already understand how I feel, so I don't have to explain what this thing's all about to you. You're probably, if you're listening and you're new, a lot of you are because our numbers are bonkers every week. You probably tuned in because you heard about this show from a friend, or maybe you've had it in your suggested feed. I I hope it appeals to you, but I'm telling you there is nowhere on earth where they are more focused on delivering the most high-quality college football content to your feed every day than we are here. And we've been able to expand our staff to do it. You may hear one voice still, but we've got a small army working behind the scenes on this now. And we've got management. I know that I um, give them a hard time from time to time because it is management after all, and they deserve it. They're making a lot of things possible for us. So we appreciate it. And I certainly appreciate you guys because it doesn't matter what management does if you don't watch and listen, but you have to a, to an incredible degree. And therefore, we're about to be able to do a whole lot of stuff that we've wanted to do that you've asked me to do for two years, two plus years since I've been here now. So thank you for that. Uh, make sure if you haven't already, 58% of our listeners and viewers are still unsubscribed. Pause for impact. Yes. So if you are not already subscribed, whether it's the YouTube channel or this podcast, I don't care where you're listening, subscribe. That's all you have to do. It's free. Nothing else happens. Subscribe. And uh, otherwise, thank you. I know you will in advance. You guys always do. Anytime I ask, we see a nice little bump in traffic from that. So for producer, well, our entire production team here, because I hand the podcast off differently than I do the YouTube show. For everyone here, I'm Josh Bate. Have yourselves a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening and God bless.